The views you're about to hear on the Dr. Plus podcast are those of the individual participants and not their employers, any other organization, or the American College of Physicians. So let's get to it. Welcome to Dr. Plus, the podcast where we explore the hobbies, activities, and adventures outside of medicine that make our friends and colleagues truly amazing. I'm Saganish, an academic internal medicine and public health doctor practicing in St. Paul. And I'm David, an internal medicine doctor practicing hospital and clinical medicine in downtown Minneapolis. We recognize our colleagues for their clinical work, research, or incredible academic achievements, but we often don't get to hear about the other sides of their lives, their pluses. Here on this podcast, we get to spend a few minutes getting to know each other in a new way. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Plus. Today is truly a special day. We get to hang out with Dr. Lang, who is going to take us on a foray through the forests and through the woods. So we want to start by introducing you, Caroline. One of the great parts about being a Minnesota ACP governor is getting to meet a lot of our members. And you have been a member with us since you were in residency at Abbott. And we're thrilled to hear more about that and your life sort of before that in Germany, where you had your medical training as well. So welcome to Dr. Plus. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. My name is Caroline Lang, and I am a primary care doctor at Alina. Um, yes, I did do residency at Abbott. And before that, I grew up in Germany. My dad is German and my mom is from from the Twin Cities area. So I did my schooling and medical training in Germany. Um, and that's kind of where I sort of got into or started learning about foraging. I, I didn't grow up mushroom hunting or foraging. So that was kind of a self-taught skill later on. But in Germany is kind of where, where it all started. You talked about foraging and mushrooms. Say what? Exactly. <laughs> so tell me more about your plus. And it has to do with mushrooms, I take it? Yeah. So foraging, I think, is a little bit of a bucket term of collecting edible items in the woods or elsewhere. Um, there are a lot of lot of plants and fruits and mushrooms that you can go searching for and eat um, and enjoy. And I guess mushroom hunting is just a term that I use. I don't know if that's anything technical. I'm sure it's a technical term. <laughs> but it's it's technically foraging. Is this a thing in Germany? Well, I think, um, you know, in, in Europe, and especially in Eastern Europe, but also in Sweden, where my brother lives, foraging has a long tradition. Um, and when I lived in Germany and was in medical school, some of my friends were really excited about collecting wild leeks, something called Bärlauch in German. And that's kind of how I got excited about it. It's a spring ephemeral. Um, it's kind of a leafy green that grows on the ground and wild leeks exist here too. So that's something that one can forage. So that's kind of how I started getting into that. You can make really delicious pesto from wild leeks. And yeah, my, as I mentioned, my brother lives in Sweden and Sweden has a really strong mushroom hunting tradition. So I keep getting these texts with pictures of these beautiful, abundant chanterelles and mushrooms and wild berries. And that's kind of sparked my interest. And so I decided to take that on here. Can you take us back to the very first time you went leek hunting? Can you tell us a story about that, that experience and what that was like for you? I want to understand why you got hooked onto this. I think I was just excited about being able to go out in the woods or elsewhere and 
find food. Uh, there's something about that that's just really exciting. Um, and then to actually find that they're really tasty things and that mm -hmm. you can't actually buy in a store. So mm -hmm. that just really, I thought that was really cool and interesting. I went to medical school in a city called Gutchingen and um, there was this little spot where probably I wasn't really allowed to be foraging. <laughs> uh, it was part of the botanical gardens kind of on the side and there was just like this blanket of wild leeks and you can collect the leaves but you can also dig up the whole plant but for pesto you only really need the leaves and that's a more sustainable way of collecting them so um and it's a really fun time because in the spring you know everything comes to life and then you have these beautiful edible spring ephemerals that you can hunt for so that's super exciting what does wild leek taste like It has like a garlicky taste the leaves are are pretty strong and People make all sorts of things, garlic butter, pesto. You can make pastas, sauces, and things like that. So, Caroline, is a wild leek the same as a ramp? Yes. Oh. Catch you, Dr. Hilden. Go ahead with your yeah. knowledge. Okay. Now, three blocks from my house in, in Minneapolis, there is a little ramp patch. Mm -hmm. And Exciting. I'm not going to tell you where they are. <laughs> and I'm because I'm not a forager. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, they came in my CSA box one time. And then somebody said, Oh, we got those growing down there. So yeah, it's really cool. If you if you know what to look for, they they are all over the place. And I think a lot of people are getting into foraging, especially since the pandemic. And so there's some discussion about sustainable foraging, which we can get into later. And I think a lot of forage foods are making their way onto like menus nowadays and CSA boxes and things like that. I do want to get into that about the sustainability. Before we do that, what is prevalent in Minnesota when you go out um, in the woods of Minnesota? What are you looking for? Well, I think Minnesota is a really exciting place to forage for many reasons. There are a lot of really exciting, delicious things to forage for, but there's also a really strong foraging scene. I don't know if you know about Alan Burgo. He, his name is Forager Chef, and he has a really great online resource where you can learn about foraging. He's very enthusiastic, and he just won a James Beard Award for his cookbook, so for anyone who lives in Minnesota, definitely look him up. He will get you excited about foraging. And then there are also other foragers around here. Um, there's a man named Sam Thayer in Wisconsin, who is one of the most respected wild plant specialists in, in the United States. So, so this is a really, really great place to forage for a lot of reasons. When I go out foraging, I think it depends on the time of year. I do really like mushroom hunting. I think that's a really fun thing. Sometimes I say it's like an adult Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it brings on this like sense of wonder and surprise that you find in the forest. And I really like that you have to learn or it challenges you to learn about the forest and the trees and get to know the different kinds of trees and where to search and what times of year to search for certain things. What got me initially excited about foraging was the morel mushroom, which is the Minnesota state mushroom. Famous mushroom. I'm not sure every state has a state mushroom. But I, I'm kind of, I'm okay. kind of into that. Yeah. I love that that we have a state mushroom. Yeah, a fun fact for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, morels are a really fun thing to forage for, and I think even people who aren't really connected to foraging know about that and maybe have gone out with someone to look for morels. But then there are also other mushrooms like chanterelles and like hen of the woods and different types of mushrooms. And then I, you mentioned ramps, which is a really fun thing to look for. Those are kind of the things that I mostly, mostly collect. 
Caroline, there are also mushrooms that'll kill you. Yes. So so you have to know what you're looking for, right? You really do. I mean, it's interesting, actually, this is also why I'm excited to be here today, because especially with colleagues, and I hear a lot of negative responses when I say, you know, uh-huh. I go and look for mushrooms, because everybody has their little anecdote or story, whether it's personal or about some toxicology professor that made a comment about mushroom hunting. Right. Yeah, and I think it's scary. I, I do have a lot of humility for for the the craft and I you do have to know what you you look for. Yes, that's true. But there are a lot of great resources out there and I think if you educate yourself and are knowledgeable and buy the right books, um there's also the Minnesota Mycological Association that has guided forays where you can learn from experts. So there are a lot of different ways to learn about toxic lookalikes and how to make sure you do it safely. How did you learn? Because when I imagine foraging, I think of it very much as a communal activity. You know, I imagine people going out together to hunt for things together, but that may not be accurate. I'm not a forager. And I would assume that knowledge then gets passed along that way, that one person teaches you or teaches the group. Am I totally off base or how how would one go about learning and being a part of this community? Yeah, I mentioned the Minnesota Mycological Association, and they do these guided forays. So yes, that is a bigger group, and that's super fun. And you get to know a lot of different people from different walks of life who have really interesting stories to tell. That's great. I really started getting into it during the pandemic, as a lot of people did. And I had just gotten to know my now husband. So we kind of went about it ourselves. And I think it was a combination of resources, online resources, books. There's some great little pocket guidebooks that will teach you about, you know, the top edible, the top toxic. The first few times I went out, I remember going out during med school in Germany with a with a foray. And it was just kind of like, is this, can I eat this one? Can I eat this one? Can I, can I eat this one? That would be me. That would be me. <laughs> yeah. And now I know much more um, and know, you know, there are certain, only certain mushrooms that are really enjoyable. So you're not really out there to, to pick any, any mushroom that's edible. You're really looking for the ones that are, that are tasty. And so that's, that's really just a handful. I mean, I think there are foragers that, that will be more adventurous and, and know a lot about different tasty mushrooms, but there are really a handful plus of mushrooms that are tasty and that you really want to look for. Sigadish had in her head an image of what a foraging party <laughs> looks like. I have a different image in my head. I mean, everything is a party in my head. I think that probably should just be the theme. Yeah, I have an image of you walking through the woods of Minnesota forever and not finding anything. It's like, um, because I go hiking, I go camping. I'm, you know, I don't know if I've ever stumbled across a morel mushroom, but I'm not looking for it. But I can imagine like these hour long (laughs) treks where, dang, I haven't found anything today. How successful is it? I mean, is it like, yeah, 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 here's one, here's one, here's one. Or do you sometimes go for a great long period of time, like just with you and your thoughts as you're looking for the next great find? Such a great question. Yeah, I think it depends. I think I've become much more aware of what's going on, what the weather is like. So if it's dry, like it has been these this summer and last summer, you're 
probably not going to find much. Um, but you know, when there's a big rainfall, you know, everybody kind of gets excited <laughs> counting the days, maybe two, three days later, you can go out and you will find a lot more. And I recall days where it's just, just, it feels like there's a mushroom almost everywhere in the woods. And that's mm. kind of an, an exciting thing because the actual mushroom is just the fruiting body uh, really of of the whole mushroom and there's a really extensive mycelium underground so it's just kind of a, a perfect environment that will cause that fruiting body to reveal itself and yeah there are so many different kinds of mushrooms that are actually not edible and you wouldn't want to eat but still are really weird and kind of exciting to find um, like there are a couple of weird ones like you know, slime mold mushrooms. There's mm. one called dog vomit slime. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy. And the names are so fun. There's a, a mushroom called dead man's fingers. I've seen that. Which is also a really strange thing to find. Do they look like it? Do they, they look do. like yeah. a dead man's finger? They look like dead man's fingers <laughs> sticking out of the... We're not saying you're weird or anything, no. Caroline, but slime molds. Dog vomit. Yeah, <laughs> it gets really weird. But... Um, you mentioned going out and, and looking for mushrooms, you know, sometimes they just pop up in your backyard or just in public places. You know, I think people, whether they realize it or not, there's a mushroom called a puffball, which is a giant white ball that looks kind of like volleyball. It can get very big and they pop up around the cities and in parks. And I think a lot of people have actually seen that and kind of wondered, huh, what is this all about? So um, it can just pop up in your backyard too. I've seen the puffball. Yeah. yeah. They're cool looking. Just, I have to ask you, is that an edible one? Is that an edible one? Yes, certain puffballs are edible. Yeah. Oh, I've never thought of that. His mind is racing. He's like, I'm going to go get I've one. I've never thought, well, that's a cool looking <laughs> thing. I never, I never went to, I wonder if I can eat it. <laughs> can you talk, Caroline, about how foraging and this passion of yours informs your day job? In other words, uh, how do you integrate this part of your person into being an internal medicine doctor? Hmm. I think it, as a person, hmm. <laughs> which is part of me as a doctor, um, I think it's made me feel more connected to the environment and to nature. And so, yeah, when I talk to people in my primary care job about healthy living, you know, Going out and being in nature is something that I definitely encourage. And I think the mushroom foraging, although I don't really encourage that necessarily, but for me, it has really opened up a lot of new worlds about exploring nature and being connected to nature. And, you know, like I mentioned, being more attuned to the seasons and spring ephemerals and the fall and rain and different kinds of trees and just being much more aware of your surroundings. I think that's just made me more whole as a person, to be honest. I think that more than finding an edible mushroom makes me excited about foraging. I love that. I would love to talk a little bit more about that and this idea of reconnecting to the things that give us life. There was a book, I don't know if you've read it, by Jonah Harris called Lost Connections. And he talks about him and like millions of other people have written about how we were so disconnected from ourselves and from not the natural world and how that disconnection leads to so many of the the issues that we see in life. For example, you know, it can increase depression and it can increase anxiety and it increase just our own discomfort with being in our bodies. 
And I want to see like being in nature can help with those things. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And this idea of us human beings are nature rather than human beings are a part of nature. We actually are, we actually are nature rather than being the separate entity that gets to enjoy nature, you know? No, I think you're, you're spot on with that. I think feeling more connected with your surroundings and with nature is, is a really important part of this. I think the exciting part about knowing about edible mushrooms and edible foods in the forest is that, that it does connect us um, and that it does apply to us. And, and just that I think has created a connection and kind of created my interest in foraging initially, but then opened up this whole new world of gaining knowledge about the forest and about your surroundings. And I think you mentioned a book that you read and I was actually thinking about a book that I read um, that I think a lot of people might, might know it's called braiding sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is a lot about how we're connected to nature and how what we do affects nature and, and how we can kind of live together and also do positive things for nature, which I have been thinking a lot more about because I think foraging has really kind of taken off, especially in the pandemic, as a hobby that a lot of people are interested in. And it's so much so that the Minnesota DNR actually has proposed a bag limit for mushroom hunters. Mm. <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and a lot of voices in the foraging community really oppose that because there's this idea or a thought that the more people that are excited and more connected to nature, the better informed people are and the more advocates we have for a healthy environment and for sustainability and for preserving our parks and having better ways to connect with nature. I think it's been known for years, this term forest bathing. You ever heard that term? I think the Japanese started that term. What's um, that? Well, it's it's sort of what we're talking about, what Caroline's saying is just that mindfully being part or being immersed in the natural world. And it doesn't have to be a state park or a state forest or something way, way, way out there, but just being among growing, living things and the rocks and the landscape and all that and just being out there was, I believe, a Japanese term that would translate it loosely into forest bathing and it showed some benefits. I don't know if that panned out, but it really resonates with yeah. me what you're saying. Yeah, 100%. Yes. I actually have done forest bathing once before and I, I thought that was a really cool thing. And it, it, Okay, you got to say more about that. I know. What is that? I don't... Yes. Yeah, it was, a, it was a guided walk. It's about awareness. It's about being aware of your surroundings and really looking at, you know, what is around you and taking in the trees and the sounds and so forth. And I think that's, that's a really cool exercise. And when I did that, that was right in the middle of the pandemic. And I felt so much better after doing that. So I think, yeah, just the act of being in the forest and being more aware of your surroundings is healing in a way. But I think the exciting thing about foraging is that you have this focus on, you know, learning. And I that's something that I get excited about is all these things that I don't know that are right in, at my back door. And they've been here all along. And I've walked around thinking, you know, oh, those are trees, or those are birds, <laughs> or those are rocks. But once you really look, this whole new world opens up that there are so many different kinds of mushrooms, there are so many different kinds of trees, and what kinds of trees are endangered, maybe, or why, or, or certain diseases. So it's just opened up a lot of, a lot of new knowledge for me. 
we've spent so much of our life and our career, like really doing medical and med- we can nerd out on all of the biochemistry and the molecular work that our, our job has done. But for many of us, you know, it was this one track and I never had a lot of opportunities to explore these things until I was done with training and I was in my practice. And then all of a sudden this whole other, you could kind of turn your head a little bit now and see more of what's around you. Yeah, I can relate to that. I have a daughter who has used the the phrase, when did birding sneak up on you? In other words, um, as you get a little <laughs> bit older in life. Are you birding, David Hilden? No, I'm not birding. But she says every time that we go to visit her, she lives in Los Angeles. And we go up to the hills of Los Angeles. And my wife and I like point out a plant or a bird. And we'll go, look at that cool bird. And she said, literally, when does birding sneak up on you? Because it's never, I've never, I've never considered that bird. But the reason I bring that up is that, uh, Saganish, you said, you know, we're, we're so singularly focused to become doctors. And we've got our heads in textbooks and looking at, at all the online resources and we're passing tests. And maybe we forget to look at the bird. And uh, maybe uh, that could be something we we uh, refocus on maybe during medical training so that we all don't come out of it uh, uh, failing to see birds and mushrooms in the, our surroundings. I think refocusing is a great, great topic. I think a lot about the work at the U around planetary health and part of what you were saying earlier about conservation and sustainability is it's a lot with anything else. We can talk about planetary health and how important it is for us to be engaged in it and try to live a more sustainable life. But it's very different than if you have a forest in mind or you've experienced this incredible, you know, river that you swam in or this ocean that you were at and you have a visceral embodied experience of it, then it stops becoming theoretical, sort of like with anything that we do in medicine. I learned about pancreatitis in a book, but I remember pancreatitis because I took care of a patient with pancreatitis. I wonder if that's sort of what you're saying too, Caroline, is that like those experiences really connect us then to the importance of the other work? Yeah, that's so true what you said. And I think knowing your backyard, knowing what's here in Minnesota and all the incredible parks that are here and Superior National Forest and our shore. And the fun thing about mushroom hunting is that, as I mentioned, you can do it almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, it can be in your backyard even. So it affects you. Yeah. And it opens up your eyes to what's going on out, out there. Um, and that's your home. Yeah. Yeah. One place it probably shouldn't be is the only place I forage, and that's at the grocery store. <laughs> um, and, and the reason I say that is that the produce there maybe got produced uh, halfway across the planet and got shipped in here and all the transportation costs and then every mushroom looks the same because it was done on some farm. So this is like a fascinating way to diversify not only your experience, but your diet. Are you able to incorporate it, Caroline, into your diet? I guess here's my other probably misconception. I imagine you have a little teeny baggie with like three mushrooms in it. And I'm thinking, well, you're not going to survive on that. Do you come back with enough to incorporate into your cooking? Yeah, I've had foraging experiences where I've come back with enough to eat for a few days, especially um, so chanterelles are a really cool mushroom that people that you can buy in a grocery store occasionally. It's it's a specialty mushroom, but that's a mushroom that you can forage for here in Minnesota. And sometimes you can be in the forest and there's a, kind of a sea of gold, as people say, and there's like little gold mushrooms popping up everywhere. And 
it's like an adult Easter egg hunt. And yeah, you can have several bags full if you if you're there at the right time. But I to your question, um, if that's part of my diet, I would say definitely not. Um, I think there are too few of them that I really feel comfortable and, and feel like it's safe. Mm-hmm. And I think also the last few years or the last two years have been really dry. So it's far and few in between that I gather a mushroom that, that I eat, but then it's special and exciting. So it's just a bonus if you can if you can make it into your evening meal. I do consider it a bonus. I think there are so many parts of mushroom foraging that are exciting and get me out there um, that have actually nothing to do with eating <laughs> eating the bounty. And I think the exploration part of it in the forest is what I really enjoy. I love all of that. Is there anything else that we haven't asked you about that you want to share with us? Well, I did have a little bit on uh, mushroom poisonings because I think uh, people... Can we talk about that? So I just got back from Australia and the big news there has been this family that suffered mushroom poisoning. Three of the four people that ate the poison mushrooms have died and it's becoming a really big scandal there because of nefarious play that people are thinking about with, with that. And so it's funny that we're talking to you now when this is in the in the news. So yeah, let's see. Talk, talk about that. What do you want to talk about with mushroom poisoning? Yeah, it's such an important topic to know about. It's it's interesting because I feel like there's actually not that much data and a lot of anecdotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have anecdotes about it. It's estimated probably like maybe 3% of mushrooms are actually toxic. And the good news there is that the vast majority of those or the majority of those cause gastrointestinal illness that is usually self-limited. Um, so when we think about death, toxic poisoning, that's rare. But there are a couple common offenders and important ones that, to know about. And I think those are mushrooms that are also can pop up in your backyard. And that's the Amanitas mushroom. So it's interesting also there's the North American Mycological Society has really great resources on toxic mushrooms. And when I've been curious about this topic, I've been you know, on their website, and they have great pictures and descriptions about the toxidromes that happen. And they also have a database, or I wouldn't call it a database, but a inventory of toxic mushroom poisonings. And they get called a lot. Um, They're not involved in all toxic mushrooms uh, poisonings, but they get called a lot for poisonings. Uh, So they have, they document those. And Interestingly, I found when I was kind of looking into how does this happen, who does this happen to, a lot of deaths occur actually in dogs because dogs can go out and eat a random mushroom. And then there are also children that can be affected, which is, of course, scary. And I think that's why people actually should know know about this. And if they see a mushroom in their backyard, actually be aware that that's something that could affect their families. And the other community that I think is often affected, and this is more anecdotal, I don't really have data on this as much, but immigrant communities, I think, especially Eastern European communities where foraging, mushroom hunting has a really strong tradition, um, but also Southeast Asian communities. Um, When you hear about mushroom poisonings, I've heard several stories about immigrant families who found a mushroom that they were very confident that they knew that is just different in North America and can be poisonous. So that's something that maybe one can be aware of in um, your own practice. If you have take care of immigrant patients, that that might be something that they engage in and 
just to educate them also that things are different here. I can't help but do a little PSA because the Minnesota Poison Control System is just a couple floors below me. It's based in my hospital. And no matter where you are in the country, it doesn't matter. The number is the same. And you can call if you're just not sure, even if you have a little gastrointestinal stuff, if you think you maybe got a hold of something, you just want some advice. They're really skilled at that too. So that, that number is the same anywhere. 1-800-222-1222. You can call that anywhere from any cell phone anywhere in the country, and it'll automatically connect you to your local poison control center if you're concerned. Because I agree with you, Caroline. It's a small percentage of them, and most of them aren't fatal. We hear about the angel of doom mushroom or whatever that thing is called, but most of them do cause some GI upset, and you can get really good help. And I hope it doesn't discourage people who are interested in going into it. From, from doing so, you just do so safely. Okay, can we spend two more minutes just talking about mushrooms as medicine? Because this is also a really big thing that's coming up. I don't know if you know anything about that or if this is something you've read about or have experience with, but there's a lot of interest in using psychedelic mushrooms for treatment in the mental health sphere. And Michael Pollan just did that big series on that, wrote the book and then did the series on that. So do you have anything to say about that? I am interested in that part, of, um, but I was going to mention just like the exact same topics that you just mentioned about Michael Pollan and psilocybin, and that's a really interesting topic medically that is being explored more, thankfully, now that um, legislation has changed and there's more awareness about it. I personally have no experience with that. Um, I know that there are other foragers that are more excited about that. They do exist, psychedelic mushrooms also here in our forest. Here in Minnesota. So, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not that versed in that part of it, but um, if you're interested, I think, I think you could explore more in Minnesota for sure. I'm a little cautious there. I think the psilocybin part of it is interesting, but I think also they're be in primary care deal with patients who uh, take so many supplements. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of like mushroom supplements have popped up and I've had on occasion some that have actually caused problems. So I, I caution people about that. So Caroline, if someone's interested in foraging, how would they get into it? Well, the way I got into it was actually initially by joining a face Facebook group, which mm -hmm. I think is just like an interesting, fun thing because it just makes you more aware of what's out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, during morale season, you know, it's morale season because your feed is full of morales. So that's a way to kind of get excited about it and also see what people are looking for and when. Um, so that really got me kind of attuned to what's going on. I mentioned Alan Burgo, the forager chef. He has a really great online resource with recipes and little videos. And it's a great way to get excited about that. And if you find something and want to look something up, that's a great resource. Uh, introductory, like books, just mushrooms of the Midwest, like a little pocketbook, something I have. And I think it's while it's not comprehensive or exhaustive, they do point out the top edibles, the top toxics and like fun mushrooms that you can encounter. So buying a book and then going to Minnesota Mycological Association forays is also a super fun way to, to learn more and connect with people. Find a friend to go out forging with. I think that's the best part. That's an incredible community that we have here that I didn't know about either. I've been surprised. I think, you know, these forays, I mean, there are a lot of people that go and there's a lot of knowledge and excitement. So it's fun to be part of that. 
We've been talking to Caroline Lang about foraging and her expertise and her passion for getting out in nature. And, and we've learned about mushrooms. We've learned about wild leeks. Caroline, thank you so much for being on our, our podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was super fun to chat with you. You are one more example of the wonderful internal medicine community in the state of Minnesota who has a plus. Thank you for sharing your plus with us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dr. Plus. Dr. Plus is sponsored by generous funding from the American College of Physicians and is produced by Julie Sensumo.